This morning I'd like to uh, begin by asking you to take a moment and think about a relationship in your life um, that's strained. You know, that has conflict, uh, maybe it's damaged, there's some pain there, it's unresolved, maybe it's even what you might call broken. Think about that for a second. If you can't think of anybody, then count yourself, count yourself blessed. Wouldn't you like to see some progress in that relationship? Wouldn't you like to see some, some breakthroughs or some, some healing? Hold that thought as we work our way through our message this morning. Today we are concluding our summer sermon series from the book of Proverbs. And if you've been with us, you know that Proverbs uh, is, is a great book. It's, a power, it's packed full of godly wisdom and great advice about all sorts of topics. And this summer, we've looked at a variety of topics. We've looked at topics like um, our speech, how we use our words. We've looked at the topic of sex or money, about friendship. Uh, about humility, about priorities, and a number of other things. And today we are looking at the topic uh, of relationships, in particular relationships that have caused us pain. Relationships that are damaged in some way, aren't what we'd like them to be. Well, King, uh, King Solomon, the author of Proverbs, knew a little something about relationships. Remember, he wrote Proverbs towards the end of his life, he lived a long life. He was a very wise man, a very successful, wealthy man. And he looked back at the course of his life and he, he wrote down these observations inspired by God's spirit. He wrote down these observations about life, general kind of observations about how life is supposed to work. Remember, they're not formulas, but general observations. And they're still timeless. They're still relevant today. In this area of relationships, the Bible tells us that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So he knew a little something about relationships. We doesn't go into a lot of detail about the nature of those relationships, but I think we can safely assume that there were some good times in those relationships, and there were some times that weren't so good. For example, Solomon also wrote the Old Testament book, Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. And it's a romantic, at times very seamy, love letter to his favorite lover. It doesn't name her. But it, it, it shows that there was a really tight bond, physically, emotionally, love, I mean, everything. But Solomon also wrote this in Proverbs 21.9. It probably wasn't the same woman. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. I'll kind of let this kind of sit there for a minute. So It, it applies equally to guys as well. Okay, It, it, it can probably be just as well to husbands. So call Solomon knew a lot about relationships. And he no doubt, over the course of his life and his relationships with the wives, the concubines, the kids, the, the, his subjects, his, his family, grandkids, so on and so forth, no doubt he would have experienced some pain and some hurt. No doubt he would have caused some pain and some hurt. So what does Solomon tell us about relationships and how to resolve them, how to find healing in those relationships? All of us have those sort of relationships. I'm guessing that there are certain conversations that just pop up in your head, words said, words, things done, and they kind of bring back this kind of familiar ache. You thought you were over it, you thought it was healed, but it kind of pops up once in a while for whatever reason. So what does Proverbs tell us about how to handle these relationships? Well, the first thing Solomon does is to kind of state the obvious. He tells us how serious broken, damaged relationships can be and the danger that can come from them. The shrapnel that spreads out and lodges in our lives, our hearts, our minds, our spirit, and, and stays there and festers. I mean, one of the mistakes we often have is what? 
we don't like conflict, most of us. So something happens in relationships, especially with somebody we really care about, we think it's just going to magically get better. We want to ignore it, put our head in the sand, just kind of minimize it and hope it gets better over time. It rarely does, right? So Solomon begins by telling us how, how serious broken relationships can be. He says this in Proverbs 17:4. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. He says this again in Proverbs 18. A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel, you know, a, a fort. Stone is heavy and sand a burden, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? And then finally, Proverbs 29. An angry person stirs up dissension, and a hot person, hot-tempered person, commits many sins. It resonates, doesn't it? Written over 2,000 years ago, resonates even today. And you may have noticed when I come up here today that I, I have a, a Mountain Dew. And I am tired this morning, long weekend, third service. But I didn't bring the Mountain Dew up here to drink it because that would be, that would be rude, right? My mother taught me not to do that. I saw this Mountain Dew in the, in the fridge earlier this morning when I got here. There's a whole uh, carton of Mountain Dew. And our men's ministry, the guys who've been working the last 24 hours making grilled meat for you or smoked meat for you, uh, I think have been kind of chugging this stuff. To stay awake, you know. So if you go through the line and they're serving, their hands are kind of shaking. It's it's not just because they're they're old, okay. So, um, but um, so anyhow, I, I thought I'd grab one of these. I, I haven't drunk it yet. Um, it would be rude to do that. I don't need any more caffeine. I've already had enough caffeine. I'm kind of on the border of jittery. Um, but third, I shook it before I came up. I just kind of did this, you know. Shook it quite a bit and. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to open it. I'm not going to do that. I'm not stupid. But we know how that happens, right? You've all been, you know, somebody's played a trick on you. Or you played a trick on them. And you shake it up, hand it to them, and poof, it sprays all over. Everything gets sticky and wet and, and messy. And it splashes on you. It splashes on the people around you. That's what broken relationships are like. Proverbs, Solomon compares them to a dam. There's this dam that's holding back this, this big body of water, and there's a breach in the dam. And the water begins to trickle out, and then becomes a flood. And Solomon says, you can't control it. He says, it's like a fortified city. At one time, the gates were open to you. You were welcome. They were open. You could come in. You, you had relationship. But now, he says, a broken relationship, it's like this. You, you can't get past the barriers. You're not welcome. It's hard to re-enter and establish, again, that relationship. In the middle of all this, the lack of control, the, the raised defenses, the barriers, the, the flood of emotions, Solomon says it is hard not to commit any sins. Isn't that true? I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but I'm, I'm, you know, there have been times when in the heat of an argument or conversation, I've said things or done things I wish I hadn't. Solomon says that's what happens. In a relationship where there's a breach, uh, things kind of get hotter and hotter, and all of a sudden, you commit many sins. I've been there. I've been, done that. So Solomon begins by saying that he, he's, he lays out for us a picture of, 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 the, of these damaged relationships and how they can exhaust us and, and imprison us in attitudes of bitterness and 
and, 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 and resentment, and they spill over and they damage other parts of our lives and spill over into the lives of those around us. Can you relate so far? One of the things I love about Proverbs is it's very direct. And Solomon does the same on this topic. He'll state something and says, here's the application. Don't have to worry. Don't have to wonder. Starting a quarrel, he says, is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. But what if I'm clearly right? What if the other person is clearly wrong? What if my friends say, Doug, you're right. Drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Does not compute. Now, now do not mistake what Solomon is saying here. He's not saying that we are always to smooth over issues and never ever deal with them. That would fly in the face of some of the Proverbs we looked at in the last few weeks. We looked at some Proverbs that dealt with teachability and, and confrontation and correction and And we saw that one of the qualities of a true friend is somebody who is willing to say the hard truth in love. Right? Better the rebuke of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. Remember that one? So Solomon's not saying that we are to just gloss over issues. Sometimes we must confront them for our good, but for the good of those we love. What he is saying is that we need to carefully weigh whether or not it's worth entering into conflict over because it's dangerous it's hot there's often damage there are often casualties the hot tempered stir up dissension but those who are patient calm a quarrel have you ever gotten into argument with somebody who's calm and patient it's infuriating isn't it you can't get them to respond you can't have an argument with just one person if the other person will engage Solomon says, the hot-tempered stir things up, but those who are patient calm a quarrel. And he says this, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory, one's credit. It's a plus mark to overlook an offense. Not easy to do. One of my uh, favorite books on this topic is called The Peacemaker. It's written by Ken Sandy. He's a... kind of a psychologist, theologian, pastor. And, and the book is on my shelf. I've read it a couple different times and actually wrote a paper about it once. And, and the theme that kind of goes over and over and over throughout his book is this simple question that we ask our kids when they're arguing. Is this really worth it? Is this really worth fighting over? Is this really worth the damage to the relationship? Solomon says, given the cost of conflict, isn't it better to overlook minor offenses? Now, granted, there are times when things just can't be avoided. It can't be overlooked, right? Because of the damage to the relationship or the, or the scope of the offense. Maybe you've tried to resolve things, but the other person isn't willing. Maybe the relationship is damaged and it's on life support. What does Proverbs say about that situation? Well, a lot, but we're going to just say a few things. The first thing we find, not only in Proverbs, but throughout the Scripture, is we must begin with humility. With humility. You know, in conflict, we tend to have this, this emphasis upon what they've done 
and we de-emphasize what we've done. We tend to try to justify ourselves and try to see, and we tend to see the, the wrong of the other person. I'm going to quote a, a Czech theologian, okay? It doesn't happen very often here. A Czech theologian, his name is Miroslav Volf. He writes about conflict. We tend to exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. He says, the place to begin is to remove the enemy from the sphere of monstrous inhumanity and move myself from the sphere of proud innocence into the sphere of common sinfulness. That's that's a fancy way of saying, be careful to draw stereotypes about another person and be careful to let yourself off the hook too easily. Humility is correlated to what Jesus so simply but profoundly said in Matthew 7. Paraphrase. Before pointing out the speck in somebody else's eye, what do you say? Pull the log out of your own. So again, in conflict, we tend to overstate the other person's responsibility for the conflict, and we tend to understate our own. A couple more um, proverbs about this. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. And then Solomon asks this question, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure? I am clean. I am without sin. The implication, of course, is nobody. Not me, not, not you, not, not Solomon. When we see ourselves as we really are, we have no business looking down on pride at somebody else. And so the place to begin in a broken relationship is not with the other person, but it's with ourselves, dismantling our pride. When I was in Canada, my first church out of seminary, it was a small church, 300 miles north of the border. And um, I was green, but I was excited and eager. Uh, Good people, I have great friends still up there. Um, But like all churches, there were some broken people, some dysfunctional people. Um, some really interesting characters, and I guess I was one of them probably. But um, there was this, this one guy, for whatever reason, he was probably 20 years older than me. We just didn't, you know, just didn't jive. I kind of like, oh, I can get along with anybody, but we just, it was like oil and water. We just always, we just seemed to jump to the wrong conclusions or have the wrong assumptions, just misunderstandings, and, you know, good guy, we just, it was just kind of didn't, didn't always work. And, um, and, and he had some issues. I, you know, I do too, obviously. But he had some issues, and and he was kind of a passive-aggressive guy. And and um, I was talking, kind of processing with somebody, a friend from the church, and and they're like, you know, well, Doug, you're in the right. You know, he's not an easy guy to get along with. You're you're in the right, which I felt kind of good about that, you know. And um, but then after a while, I started to realize that I was I was more concerned about being right than I was about the relationship. Which is not a good conclusion to come to when you're a pastor, or, or anybody for that matter. And I realized that I, I, uh, I had to let go of my, my rightness, I guess, in the issue. And, and, and really reach out and, and listen and, and try to understand and, and defer. And, you know, and over time there was healing in that relationship. And by the time I left, we were, we were good friends. You know? But we have to, we have to make sure that our, our rightness, our sense of rightness, keeps us as a barrier from, from bringing healing in the relationship. 
Proverbs tells us, King Solomon also tells us, to absorb the offense. When I hear the word absorb, I think of those bounty, you know, uh, paper towel commercials, uh, the quicker picker upper, you know, kind of soaks up the mess and it kind of just disappears into this, this paper towel that's really absorbent. Well, Solomon says that we are to kind of have that effect uh, in damaged relationships. He says, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. Some translations say absorbs. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. I mean, you've seen that, right? A person can't let go of the issue, just cannot let go of it. Eventually, it separates close friends. So, in the Proverbs, there are always these contrasts. You may have noticed. The wise does this, the fool does this. The disciplined person does this, the sluggard does this. And he has the contrast here. He says we can be hateful, we can repeat what's happened to ourselves, we can repeat the cycle, or we can cover over the wrongs. Cover over. What's that mean? Instead of exaggerating the faults, it means looking for ways to make them disappear, right? In my relationship with my kids over the years, I've always tried to tell them, I try to practice. In, in an argument, we can do one of two things. We can raise the temperature or we can lower it. We can f- throw fuel on the fire or we can throw dirt on it. We can, in, in, we can cover over an offense. Love covers over an offense. Love covers over many wrongs. We absorb the pain. We bear the cost of the wrong that they've done, in a sense. Another proverb which I think is helpful for us is one you've probably heard quite a bit. It's about overcoming evil with good. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will... Now, that sounds kind of good, right? Kind of, I do nice things and ah, sweet revenge, you know. And, and the Lord will reward you. I don't think it's talking about that. But there's an example. I, I was reading a blog the other day, an article... And a guy was talking about this verse. He was in McDonald's with his wife and mother-in-law. And they're getting something to eat. And a guy walked in with his wife and his three kids. And this guy had hurt him, you know, in the past. Never apologized. Never acknowledged wrong. And so they kind of exchanged pleasantries. You know, hey, hey, how are you doing? That's about it. And, and there's some tension. And the guy just wants to get his meal done and leave. And he, they do that and they're leaving the restaurant. When he heard this other guy and his wife arguing and it turns out they forgot their money. You know, they can't pay for it. And their kids are like, well, I want my happy meal. And, and they're embarrassed. And this other guy's thought was, he says, to my shame, was, praise God, there is justice in the world. You know, <laughs> felt kind of good to think that. But then immediately he thought about the text he had read that morning in Romans, which is based on the proverb we just read, where it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And then Paul says, on the contrary, if your enemy, quoting the proverb, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Then he concludes, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this verse pops into his head. And listen to what he says. God was saying to me, here's your chance to be set free of your pain and overcome your hurt 
and your bitterness. He says, I knew I had a choice either to obey or bask in my bitterness, my rightness. He says, somewhat reluctantly, I reached into my wallet, pulled out $20, and gave it to the man and said, have lunch on me. Is there a place for rebuke? Yes. But when a relationship is broken, the way of wisdom is to respond with humility, with a willingness to absorb the pain of the offense, and then the willingness to bless the other person, which is not easy to do. Most of us don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like doing that. But it's got nothing to do with feelings. When we follow the wisdom of Proverbs, we will find that eventually the feelings will come later. Listen to C.S. Lewis about this topic. He writes, Last week while at prayer, I suddenly discovered, or felt as if I did, that I had really forgiven someone I've been trying to forgive for over 30 years. That's what we need to do. But it leaves us with this question, where do we find the power to do that? It doesn't come, it doesn't come naturally. One last story. Becky Pippert, she's a Christian author and psychologist, tells a story. She was auditing a class on counseling at Harvard. And in one of the case studies, the therapist used a technique called psychodynamic psychology. And in this case, the therapist helped uncover a, a hidden hostility toward this person's mother. And the professor moved on, but Pippert wasn't, wasn't satisfied. She raised her hand and said, let's say the patient came back a couple weeks later and said, I'd like to get beyond my anger. I understand the issue now, but I'd like to move beyond it. I'd like to be able to love her, forgive her. How do I do that? How does this therapy help a person with a request like this? And there was silence. And the professor answered, I think the therapist would say, lots of luck. You see, we can understand the issues. Our own issues. We can understand, other, we can understand the dynamics of a relationship that's broken. But how do we find the power to do something about it? To see redemption and, and change? The answer is at the foot of the cross. The answer is in the cross of Christ. I mean, we follow a God who has forgiven us in this exact way. The Bible tells us he has absorbed our sins. He has absorbed our offenses. It tells us in, in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That he didn't consider his own wants or needs, but he considered the needs of others. He put others before himself. He absorbed it all. Everything we've done, past, present, and future. And Paul tells us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how do, we, how do we affect change in our lives and the relationship? It has to begin with a relationship with Christ. It has to begin with a perspective of our own neediness. It has to begin with His Spirit guiding us and changing us. Remember in the Gospels, Jesus told us time and time again that we must understand how much we've been forgiven. And when we do that... We'll be ready to forgive others. You know, I, I, I dare to say that if we aren't in the process of forgiving someone who's hurt us, 
then it's an indication that we maybe haven't grasped the expanse of God's forgiveness for us or the depth of our own sin. But we can move towards forgiveness as we humble ourselves, as we absorb the pain of what others have done, and of God's grace and mercy, turn around and offer grace and mercy, mercy to others. So who was the person and what was the relationship that came to mind at the beginning of the message? Where you'd like to see progress, you know, healing, breakthroughs. It can happen and you can see healing. But it begins with Christ. It begins with the cross. It begins with a different perspective. It can begin today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you inspired <laughs> Solomon to write these words over 2,000 years ago and how they're relevant today. Father, we thank you that you looked at us and saw the mess we've made of our lives and our world and you repaired that relationship. You reconciled that relationship by giving your life for our sins. And so, Lord, we trust in you and we thank you for that. Lord, help us to be people who um, just don't ignore problems in relationships, don't minimize, but people who are agents of change and agents of healing. Help us to follow the example of Jesus to, to humble ourselves, to, to cover over offenses, to absorb pain because of your love for us. And help us to bless others, even those who have harmed us. We thank you for your mercy. May we be merciful and gracious people as well. Amen.